Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wild Card Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. Welcome to Industry Focus. Today is Wednesday, February 24th, and I'm your host, Emily Flippin. Today, I am joined by Motley Fool contributor Jason Hall as we unpack one of the most controversial health companies on the market today, Clover Health. Jason, thanks for joining. This is this is going to be fun. It's you know it's interesting because it's a little bit out of our wheelhouse, but I think we're both people that can be kind of I don't want to say critical, but you and I both really try to be eyes wide open when we dig into any any company, especially companies we don't understand as well. So I think this is going to be a great a great primer on this company. I will take full responsibility for this episode because um, when we were originally scheduling this Wild Card Wednesday, I I did want to make something healthcare focused. I know that's an aspect of industry focus that is sorely missing since Shannon Jones has since moved on to bigger and better things at The Motley Fool. Um, But when I had the idea, oh, maybe we'll, we'll run with Clover Health, I mean, it sounded good to you. I don't think either of us really had a grasp about just how deep this business runs. So at least I know I didn't. So I will put the caveat out there that um, this is you know my interpretation of the business. And uh, when you're looking at healthcare businesses, especially insurance providers, of which Clover Health is, uh, it's complicated, especially when you get into things like Medicare. Um, So we'll do our best. We'll do our best with this episode, um, explain our perspectives on the business. Uh, But that's the the probably necessary caveat to add out there that um, I, I host the Consumer Goods Show for a reason. I'll just leave it there. <laughs> but I, I want to point out too, I think it's it's important to remember that you, you don't have to be a complete expert on the healthcare industry to look at a company and find clear risks and things that maybe are just misunderstood, things that, that can be easily misunderstood and apply them to to how you understand that business as a possible investment, right? Sometimes, sometimes being outside of the industry is, is, is beneficial. Yeah, that's definitely true. I like how you pointed that out. Um, It can be harder for analysts to look at companies if they're looking at terminology that they're not familiar with. But once you get past that initial hurdle, um, sometimes an outside perspective is that fresh eye that you need on the business. And I know we were both two fresh eyes on Clover Health over the past week or so. Uh, So it'll be fun conversation today. Before we get into the business, it might be beneficial to talk about its history. Uh, Part of the reason why Clover Health is so popular is because it was one of the business businesses that was brought public through a SPAC, a special purpose acquisition corporation, uh, through that was founded and, and led by Chamath. And I, I know that he's gotten a lot of, um, I'm not going to try to pronounce his full name, so I apologize. I'll leave it there. Palahapatiya. Wow. Good job, Jason. I, I, I will not try to repeat it. Um, but what can you tell us about, about a little bit of the background of Clover Health before we get into the business? So Clover Health's actually been around for a, for a while. This isn't a super duper brand new business. And Chamath, um, just the background there is is social capital. Uh, and he's uh, aligned with uh, Hedosophia, I think is how it's pronounced. Hedosophia Holdings are, are trying to bring, I think, 26 different companies public um, in a really short period of time across a variety of needs. And this is one of the ones that they identified is a way to address healthcare, right? And improve healthcare, drive down costs, improve 
outcomes, all of the things that, that we call out as being problematic with healthcare in the US, right? And one of the things that makes this really interesting is Clover Health focuses on Medicare, right? So Medicare Part B, I think is this Part C. Um, so the, here's the key though, is one of the things that makes that really interesting right now is we're in the midst of this massive secular aging trend. By 2030, there will be 80 million Americans who are over age 65, which means they're eligible for Medicare, right? So in, in terms of what that means, that's about a double in that age group over a 25 or less year period. Um, the number of 80 plus Americans is going to be over 40 million by that period. So in terms of people that need lots of health care. So that's you know one of the reasons why this is this is such an interesting and really potentially compelling opportunity is because the there are caps about how much profit these companies can actually take but it's an enormous market that is growing very quickly and if you can find some sort of competitive advantage that proves durable and they're claiming that with with their software and the use of technology um, to to drive down costs and help increase their share um, and inc increase their margins too to be more profitable than other other companies that insure in the same area that's the thesis, right? Is even with it being a somewhat fixed and very heavily, heavily regulated industry, the sheer growth and the opportunity to drive out costs um, could, could make it a market beating investment. That idea is really compelling. And it's easy to see why uh, Chamath and and uh, you know, Social Capital and Hedda Sophia uh, wanted to bring this company public. We got excited by the idea of disrupting um, some aspect of healthcare, in this case, uh, a portion of Medicare. It was previously um, known as Social Capital, Hedda Sophia, Hedda Sophia Holdings 3, also better known as IPOC. Um, it has since, the deal has since closed, and the company is now independently listed as Clover Health on the NASDAQ under CLOV. Uh, but that's a good little kind of summary about why Clover Health was such an attractive target um, for these SPACs. Uh, they're looking for businesses that they can perceive to be disruptive to deeply entrenched industries. Um, that being said, Clover is still a medical uh, provider, insurance provider. Um, you know, they're a Medicare Advantage insurer, which I believe is Part C, a, medical, a Medicare Advantage insurer in the U.S. And what that means is that Medicare, which is our, our government-provided health insurance for qualifying Americans, uses Clover to provide insurance through an access of network of independent uh, providers and doctors. So they're using technology to improve the experience, but when push comes to shove, and I'll make this argument a little bit later, there's still an insurance provider for Medicare Advantage patients. So the way that that works is Clover takes money from the government, from the government's Medicare program, and pays out to insurance medical bills, uh, just like every other health insurer. Uh, currently, I think Clover has around 55,000 qualifying patients. I could That number could be a little bit wrong, maybe a little bit on the low end. Um, but the vast majority of whom come from two metropolitan areas of New Jersey, which is where Clover got started. Um, so that's kind of like the interesting aspect of this business is they're getting paid by the government. And as you mentioned, there's limits on how much profit they can take from the government since they're getting paid per customer 
from the government. We'll get into the details a little bit more, but that just essentially ensures that Clover Health doesn't have the permission to just deny care to people because they want to keep their profit levels at a certain level. I believe they're legally capped on profits somewhere around 15%, 15 to 20%. Um, so that's something that I think is important to keep in mind when you're looking at Clover Health. Yeah, no, I I agree. And again, that's that's what gets back to the like those key points that, that that they say are part of the thesis is like Clover Assistant, right? So using their technology to help drive down costs, improve outcomes, and and they claim this is a competitive advantage. And again, just the sheer amount of growth uh, in the aging population is, you know, it. That's what they say. <laughs> Well, currently Clover gets around $11,000. It's it's not specifically broken out, but you can infer a certain level. So somewhere around $11,000 per year per patient from Medicare uh, in order to pay out their medical claims. So the way the business works is that anything they don't pay out in claims, they get to keep for business purposes, for profitability purposes. So they definitely have a vested interest in, you could say, improving the health of their clients, right? Essentially, paying less in claims. And I mentioned before that they can't just deny care. So Clover definitely takes a focus on improving patient outcomes to decrease cost. And you mentioned what they perceive to be this proprietary technology that's Clover Assistant that's provided free of charge to qualifying doctors in their network who use the platform when they treat Clover's Medicare members. This platform just essentially keeps track of member outcomes and ensures that Clover is constantly up to date on any health challenges that their their insurees are going through. It's not meant to replace something like an electronic health record, which is legally required to be retained, but it is meant to better improve Clover's ability and doctor's ability to provide care for their patients. So this is a controversial aspect of Clover's business because as we found out, through a short report, which we'll definitely talk about later in the show, is essentially doctors are encouraged to use this platform for more from just improving patient outcomes. They're actually getting paid nearly twice the traditional Medicare fees when treating Clover patients and putting it through that Clover Assistant platform. Um, This reimbursable fee is something that Clover believes incentivizes the primary care physicians to code and treat patients accurately. And if that is the case, theoretically, it should lead to lower costs being paid out on Clover's side, which theoretically, again, should lead to higher levels of profitability. Yeah. And it's another thing, right? So we talk about pretty regularly on on The Fool and for our members especially, the, the growth of the cloud, the growth of software, the growth of analytics, um, the more data the company has, you would think, the more they could utilize that data to improve outcomes, to lower costs, to figure out how they can leverage their technology, leverage their relationships with <clears throat> with healthcare providers to try to improve out those outcomes and and lower costs, right? But right today they're paying for it, right? They pay roughly double. <laughs> <laughs> so that's um, on that front side, the fee to the to physicians. So at, at what point does is this going to be about collecting data that they can use? Because at this point, um, what and again we'll talk more about it when we get in the short, but the 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 short thesis is that this is really more a tool that they're using to try to increase billings. Yes. And um, it's an easy argument to make, and, and we'll talk about it in a bit more detail. But you know, essentially, 
if you're taking the, I guess, the bear side of the clover argument, and there are clear people on either side of this fence, let me just be upfront about that. Um, you can definitely see how bear or bulls in this case argue that clover is moving fast and breaking things. And whenever that happens, whenever we see disruptions and, and traditionally entrenched industries, there's always pushback. Um, I, I go, my mind goes back to Invisalign and, and kind of the struggles that they had getting off the, off the ground because of the, the deeply entrenched orthodontist industry that didn't necessarily want people um, cutting into their profit margins. So it's easy to say that you know, while they're, they're facing some road bumps while trying to get this disruption off the ground, that's to be expected when trying to disrupt such a, a traditionally uh, focused industry. At the same time, numbers when looking at this business are extremely challenging. And, and it is clear that the picture that that Clover Health painted when they initially went public through the SPAC was not necessarily fully representative of the experience that providers and users of Clover Health were experiencing. But again, we'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> we'll get there. Yeah. And the other thing I think is worth pointing out too, that, that when you're talking about disruption in an industry with some very entrenched players and highly regulated um, program that's it's essentially their 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 money is taxpayer money right at the end of the day that's what pays for this is a massive federal uh, federal program <clears throat> is you're dealing with change management 101 right you're you're largely expecting people that have done things a certain way for a very long time to start thinking about doing things differently which is hard that's the hardest thing to do is 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 manage this kind of change so great talk technology great software all of that's fantastic, but you still have to manage through the change. Definitely. And before we move on to their financials, I think it's worth digging more into the market opportunity. You mentioned it as we head off the top of the show about what a big opportunity uh, Medicare is. And you can talk a little bit more about how Clover expects that to grow in the future. But I'll quickly mention how the government pays out for their, their Medicare insurance providers. It's actually based off a star rating, um, depending on reviews left by people who use those insurance provider. So every Medicare Advantage provider Clover Health, in this case, gets ranked one to five on a medley of different aspects of service they provide. And depending on where their star ranking provides, it actually depends on how much money they get per customer. So these insurance providers are incentivized to further improve their services to benefit people using the system. And uh, while there is ranges, uh, I'd probably say Cigna, one of their bigger competitors, consistently has four to five rankings. Clover seems to hover somewhere a little bit closer to three, three and a half stars. It's not bad, but it definitely leaves room for improvement. Uh, and that, if they were able to improve those patient outcomes, could potentially let them earn more revenue per person they're bringing into their network. So when I think about the market opportunity, and as you talk here about the people coming in to Medicare program, uh, it's important to remember that the value of each individual does depend on the service, the level of service that they're able to provide. So. Again, I, th I think the number, I haven't seen the exact most recent number that they've released, but I think it's still around 55,000 or so. Their plan, their target is to have between 70 and 75,000 members by the end of 2021. So roughly 50% growth, right? That's an, an enormous rate of growth. How, how does that happen? Um, well, again, that, that trend we talked about with the aging, somewhere around 10,000 Americans become eligible for um, Medicare 
every day, right? It's about 10,000 a day is the run rate over the next you know, decade or so. Um, so when you're this small, um, with your, your, you're starting at this point, um, there, there is a vast opportunity to grow at a very outsized rate, right? So we think about that. Just again, that sheer growth—it's—it's it's huge. And the other thing too is that this is this is a business that's still very geographically concentrated, right? The vast majority of their of their members now are, are in New Jersey. Yeah, I think it's like ninety-eight percent in in two in two urban areas of New Jersey. That's some intense concentration. It is, and I think there's probably also some bias to their ratings there. One of the things that that would be helpful, I think, in evaluating the company that we just ran out of time to do is to how how do those star ratings compare to its peers in the same markets, right? Because I think that can help inform the quality of their care. So I didn't see that. Emily, have you seen that data? Um, I, I did some independent research. I poked around, pretended I was signing up for Medicare to look at and compare. <laughs> I'm not sure if there's an aggregated approach. You'll see people claiming different aspects. Um, but I, I I, I think the best way to do it, because it is so geographically dependent, is to kind of look in the different areas that they're providing. And since 98% of their users come from New Jersey, when I was doing my research, I pretended that I was looking for Medicare in New Jersey. Um, the plans that they offered were were comparable to their competitors. I did notice potentially slightly lower cost than their competitors, but their rating system was also a little bit lower. Um, surprisingly, uh, part of what kept their star ratings lower, and this is all just independent Googling on my part, right? There's really no centralized star rating system. Uh, but what I know kept them down was actually not necessarily patient outcomes, but the, the ease of experience for the patients. And um, that's something that I think is probably going to be a challenge for them to, to incorporate the ease of experience that the Clover uh, assistant provides to physicians, also providing that ease of experience to their users as well. Yeah. So again, this is it's really just a sheer a sheer growth opportunity is the big thing. If 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 they can even and that's the interesting thing, right? So again, a part of the thesis here is their technology to help them be more profitable. But there's also the very real prospect that because this is a very small business compared to the addressable market and the growth of the addressable market, even if they can just meet the basic expectation and funnel their profits towards towards expansion, this could this could be a wonderful investment, right? But that's not the whole thesis. That's just part of the thesis. Yeah, and and we'll talk. I mean, I know we're we're burying the lead here with the true questions, and we'll definitely get to those questions, especially those raised by the short report at the end of the show. Uh, but part of my skepticism in terms of of just meeting those base level expectations is that Clover historically hasn't met them. In fact, um, you know, Clover, as you mentioned, is a private company, been around a while before the, the SPACs took interest in them. And reports heading back, you know, even in 2016, seemed to imply that the company internally expected much faster growth than they actually experienced. So if you look at reports back in 2016, they said the company expected it would have 65,000 members by the end of 2017. Uh, for reference, that's again, 10,000 members or so more than they have right now in heading three into years 2021. Ago. Yeah, so that was right. three years ago. Um, and they missed that number by nearly 40,000 in 2017. 
Um, part of that reason could have just been funding, though. I mean, the huge influx of money that Clover has experienced over the past year could potentially let them be more aggressive in how they expand their program offerings, especially beyond just New Jersey. So I don't want to approach it with too much skepticism. But when I hear them say that they're going to grow their membership from 55,000 to 73, 75,000 just over the course of 2021, it does make me ask, how are, how is the approach that you're taking this year different than the approach that you took in 2016, 2017, when you so grossly missed those internal expectations? Yeah, that, I mean, that's a really good point, right? And I think part of the argument there is, well, we've raised some capital and we can use that capital to deploy. Uh, but then the other side of that argument is also, there's also been enormous, enormous turnover, right, in their executive suite. And there's been a lot of turnover in the people behind the technology. And if the company is saying that technology is one of our competitive advantages, you know, what's happening? You know, what's ha- what's happening with that? Are, are you going to be able to allocate these new resources in a more effective manner? That remains to be seen. Speaking of allocated resources and effective manners, I think their financial picture definitely reflects this high level of turnover. It's a little all over the place when you look at Clover Health's financial performance. Uh, you would expect this from a disruptive company. They're unprofitable and always in need of more cash. Um, if you look at 2019, 2020 was a weird year because of the pandemic. If you look at 2019, they had over $350 million in net losses on revenue of under $500 million. So some pretty hefty net losses. Things did turn around in 2020, although they did attribute their their small uh, first nine months net loss of $10 million largely to the effect of the pandemic pulling off non-necessary procedures for those covered under their plans. So they did have some cost savings in 2020. They're definitely headed in the right direction. But when you look at this business, I think it's probably valuable to look at what they're projecting long-term. If you take the margins that they expect, they could have gross profit around $1,600, $1,700 per coverage uh, user, right? Per person signed up for their plan. Um, So that's the amount left over of that $10,000 or $11,000 after paying out medical claims. So $1,000 to $2,000 per person. And um, this is because of that critical ratio. They call it the medical loss ratio. It cannot be less than 80 or 85%. Otherwise, you're going to have issues from the government. But anything above 90% and definitely anything above 100% would imply that you're not operating a sustainable uh, medical insurance business. And Clover's Health was above 100% for many years, meaning that for every dollar they brought in from people signing up from their plans and premiums, they were paying out more in medical costs. They've since brought that down. And so I think it's great that that number is trending down closer to where their peers are. I think it's around 86% right now, which is uh, pretty impressive for Clover Health. But that will be something to keep your eye on when you're evaluating the financial performance of this business. Because just how much they want you to think that they're a tech company, ultimately they are providing insurance for people under Medicare Advantage plans. And if they can't keep their medical loss ratio at an industry average, that's going to be a big concern. Yeah, I agree. Right. And that's, that's I think, you you nailed it. I think that's where it's important to be critical of, of any company that's leading with technology or, or software as being some, um, you know, just like the it's like the the magic bullet. Um, and they're in an industry where there are very large players that are already just about squeezing every profitable dollar out of it. 
because at the end of the day, they are still married to those regulations, right? They're still married to those fixed costs. Zoom communications we're using right now, Zoom video communications can generate you know 55% free cash flows um, because their fixed costs are relatively fixed, right? And every incremental customer they add beyond that can be very nearly 100% profit. That's never going to be the case with Clover Health. It legally cannot do that, right? So that's 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 a really important differentiator you have to remember, right? Uh, doesn't make it a bad investment, but it means it's a different kind of industry, and you have to understand those industry um, those industry norms, right? And I think that's one of the things you talk about in terms of thinking about how to value the company, right? Yeah, this is where I I get my biggest hiccup as an investor is I I have a hard time justifying. Uh, making an argument that you can value Clover as a tech company instead of as an insurance company when their own internal projections only have their long-term margins at 2 to 3% higher than their entrenched competitors. I'm not sure if that's something that's worth paying 8 to 10 times sales for. This isn't a particularly profitable business in terms of the amount of free cash flow that they generate, especially in comparison to other companies that are trading at similar valuations. So for me, I feel like it's a little bit frothy, but I, I've said this before on Industry Focus, and I say it a lot uh, in my my day job, right, as, as an equity analyst, is I think I tend to be a little bit slow to the uptake and disruptive businesses, and that can oftentimes be to my detriment. But at similar points, it can protect me from downside here. I can definitely see the argument that this is a disruptive healthcare tech company. I tend to fall on the side that this is a disruptive insurance provider that's trying to prove out its technology still to this day. And it's not showing up in their finances right now. For, so for that reason, I have a hard time putting a premium valuation on it. But I'll take, I'll take the counter. I'll take the counter on that. Oh, and really? the counter, yeah, well, it, yeah, with nuance, right? Because I think that's important. I think, <laughs> I think if, if you, if you believe in a couple things, right? If you believe in the growth prospects, right? And again, you think about those big trends, and the starting point for this business right now, and if you if you believe that there are some competitive advantages, even though it's an industry that's that has a lot of regulations about how profitable it can it can actually legally be, um, it's a four billion dollar company, right? Market capitalization today is four billion dollars. If you're if you're going to wildly overpay or or pay an extremely high valuation for a company, make sure it's in a company when it's still very small and has an enormous addressable market that you think that it's able to grow at a much faster rate than the industry. And I think that I think that absolutely describes Clover, Clover Health to a T right now. Um, is it going to be worth six times sales in 10 years, eight times sales in 10 years? Heck no, of course not. It's going to revert to a mean valuation that's more close to the industry that it participates in. Uh, with that said, is it going to be worth a lot more today in terms of value? Is it going to beat the market? If what they're saying proves to be true and it can continue to slice off a larger piece of that of that opportunity, absolutely, it can be a market beating investment. Um, but, right? <laughs> and I think that's what we're going to talk about next. 
Yes, let's let's talk about the elephant in the room, which was this short report released earlier this month by Hindenburg Research, who called out a lot of issues that they perceived with Clover Health's business, a few of their payment processes, right, the way that they paid uh, primary care physicians, issues with their technology, they called out uh, any number of things, right, management, a, a conflict of interest. The big one, though, is is... Uh, they found out, and as was later disclosed to investors, that Clover Health does have, uh, ha- did have an inquiry from the Department of Justice into their business practices. So, what what is, what was your take on reading this short report, Jason? So, uh, a couple things. Like any good short report, um, there's a lot of inflammatory language, a lot of things that will invite a strong emotional reaction. And in a short report, the so there's the two the two emotions that drive us as investors are fear and greed, right? We know that. So uh, a good short report hits that fear thing, and it does. This one hits it very well because it talks about a Department of Justice investigation, calls out a litany of things ranging from illegal payments to uh, people working in these doctors' offices, you know, maybe giving gift cards to the receptionist, having having what they call. Clover ambassadors, right? Um, so, like a litany of things that that are um, potentially against the law, right? So, that definitely hits hits that fear thing. Um, but they also, I think there there are, you know, are they making a mountain out of out of a molehill, or is it a mountain of molehills, right? Are there a lot of little things that this company is potentially doing that enough of them could be illegal? Um, to cause substantial problems for the business, right? Um, and so the one thing to me that just kind of jumps out is, so with this uh, Department of Justice investigation, um, so the founder obviously knows about it. The CEO of, of, of Clover Health uh, knows about it. Um, uh, Vivek, of course, now I'm drawing a blank on his last name, uh, knew about it. Um, there was question whether or not um, Chamath knew about it. He knew about it. Um, the companies issued issued a, a follow up response, and they said this is something that all of our legal counsel, both our corporate counsel and the counsel we were working with through the process of going public, said we do not need to disclose this, right? Because I think it's important to remember that these sorts of companies do get inquiries from regulatory bodies on a regular, ongoing, consistent basis, right? So. To a certain extent, there is a certain amount of of you know how how uh, how important is it? How how meaningful is it? Right? For it passes that that test of uh, of needing to be disclosed. That's a fair point, and um, I I'll take the counter side of of that argument. I'll play devil's advocate here. Um, in in my other day job, I manage a cannabis portfolio. There's an interesting company that recently also went public via a SPAC, or is in the process, I should say, of going public through a SPAC. The business is Weed Maps, and Weed Maps had gotten an inquiry from the Department of Justice um, previously. They were fully cooperating, working with the Department of Justice, didn't expect any negative outcomes from a result of the inquiry, but even they disclosed it in their investor presentation to investors in that SPAC. And maybe they were just being more proactive, right? Or maybe their legal counsel said, 
eh, maybe the risk here is greater than what was perceived with, with Clover Health, so they felt the need to disclose it. But obviously, there's a gray area here. And generally speaking, when I, when I see cannabis companies um, with higher levels of moral disclosure, it makes me a little bit concerned when a healthcare company whose, whose theoretical sole job it is, is to take money from the government to improve people's lives, right? To take care of their health, hopefully make a profit while doing it. But it makes me a little bit worried about the people who are calling the shots. And that may be a totally unfair assessment because to your point, they had lots of legal counsel acting on this. If they have these inquiries very often, then it really could have been nothing. But from my perspective, I always prefer management, especially in a highly regulated industry, to err on the side of caution as opposed to be taking liberties. And this to me felt a little bit like taking liberties. And with the number of things that the DOJ inquiry listed off as concerning, specifically calling out gift card payments as an example, a practice that Clover Health has vehemently denied that they take practice in, those things are especially concerning. And now as a result of the short report, they got an inquiry from the SEC. So there's lots of, of kind of legal and regulatory risk here that they could have gotten in front of if they had just disclosed it and said, hey, we get these a lot. We're working with the Department of Justice. I think a lot of investors would have just moved on. But now it's a whole thing because management didn't exercise and what is, in my opinion, good judgment. A couple of other things that that jumped out to that I think are important are related party um, relationships. So, for example, their chief I think it's their chief marketing officer uh, has a long history in the insurance uh, industry um, on owning a is it a broker I guess that he owns or it's not a broker it's a company that's involved in connecting insurance companies with 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 patients um, or payers and a. It, it looks like from what I'm seeing, uh, essentially, this was a partnership and moved this partnership into his wife's name, I guess, is the accusation. Uh, and questions about whether or not there's still like a substantial conflict of interest if this uh, executive has a family relationship to a business that's providing a substantial uh, amount of Clover's customers to it, right? I think that's a that's a that's another thing that that kind of ties into that. You have to trust the people that are running the business, I think, right? So that's a, that's a questionable thing. One other thing I want to mention too is is that that I just I want to kind of call out the Hindenburg on is that you know they they tried to make a big stink out of Chamath, and this is like part and parcel with any any kind of short report that you have to get past that like things that are obviously trying to stimulate an emotional reaction is they tried to keep saying well. It's only a $25,000 investment to get their founder shares. And I mean, the bottom line is social capital has probably spent millions, maybe tens of millions of dollars in their due diligence process and the time that they've spent marketing and promoting the business um, that I think you have to consider as part of the investment. Plus, um, Chamath made a $100 million equity investment um, into into Clover, right? $100 million through one of the entities that he controls that invested in, in Clover. So there is skin in the game um, that, that, that Chamath has. And, and I mention that because number one, skin in the game is important, but it's also a tiny portion of his, of his wealth. And to me, that's the big thing is that the key here, right, is if you're concerned about it, if, if it's a tiny portion of your exposure, 
then your your direct exposure to this actually being a fraud and a zero and whatever, like the worst case scenario is, is minimal by position sizing, right? Definitely. And for me, when I when I come out of the short report, they called out so many things that um, we won't have the opportunity to get into everything, obviously, during this this uh, podcast. But one of the things that I think is, is worth mentioning um, are two things, I should say. The first is Seek Medicare Referrals, this website that apparently is partly co-owned by by Clover Health, where essentially, um, essentially it wasn't disclosed that uh, a lot of the people running the show were somewhat incentivized to be referring people to Clover Health. And what was interesting about this short report is not just these claims, but actually how the company responded to them. It's not very often that we see a company uh, respond so in depth to a short report. We'll see companies come out with a statement, usually a broad statement that says, we're aware, this is completely untrue, like we're, we're following up, whatever, right? They, they, they acknowledge that it existed. They say everything they say is false. These are people who are in it just to see our stock price go down, and then they move on. Uh, in this case, Clover Health issued a a full, I mean, it was almost the size of the report itself, response to the short report, uh, specifically addressing a lot of the allegations. So I definitely encourage anybody who's listening, who's interested in, in getting the full details to take time, read the short reports, read the company's response to the short reports. They acknowledge that Seek Medicare actually referred over half of their their patients to to Cigna, for instance. They weren't sending everybody to Clover I Health. Think, I think the exact number, not the exact number, but I think there were at least three providers that received more referrals than than clovered it maybe four i mean it may have been i think it was the fourth on the list right and it was by, yeah by far more went to other providers which is a hard thing to again in the context knowing that they only provide coverage in such limited geographies right now it's a hard thing to kind of quantify but that was the company's response to it and their response to the related party um, issues right the conflict of interest in, in regards of, of this new jersey-based entity that was co-owned referring people to Clover Health. It accounted for something like 8,600 out of their 55,000 existing members. So not nominal, but also not everybody. And if you just read the short report, they would make it out to seem that there are no genuine people who are using Clover Health as a Medicare Advantage plan. And if you read the company's report, it would make it seem like everything they're doing is with the you know the patient or the user in mind, and they're doing everything by the book. I think reality, as with many things, is somewhere in the gray area. It, it is. It is. And yeah, I would. I agree. I would encourage people look up Hindenburg Research. Clover Health short, and you'll get a link in Google right to it. And then I encourage you to go to Clover Health's investor relations page blog, not the Clover Health blog, but their investor relations blog to read the response. And then you can start kind of forming your your own your own thoughts on this. And this is a fun episode to do. I, I know that we didn't have time to talk about everything that we wanted to talk about here. We could, if you give us time, we talk for three hours and still not get a quarter of the way through this business. It's such a, yeah, it's such a challenging business to, to analyze. So I, I hope that we've done justice to both sides of this argument thus far. Um, I, I think it's definitely one to keep your eye on. Uh, I think I'm interested in it. I am not touching this right now as an investor with a 10-foot pole. Um, however, I am extremely interested in what it could do in the future. So I'm definitely keeping my eye on it. Uh, but Jason, before we head out, is there anything that you you wanted to really hit home, wanted to add before we close out this podcast? Yeah. So I, I th just a couple things I want to hit on. No, number one, they're t the Clover's leading with their technology, right? Is, as they say, a, dif a differentiator. 
We don't know that is the truth. One thing from the short report, somebody pointed out, well, you know, Cigna's got 20,000 programmers, <laughs> right? How, how, is, how are these guys that have had constant turnover in their technology suite and a handful of coders, how have they figured out the formula? And my counter to that is, well, Emily and I don't cover this industry. And we talked about the fact that sometimes somebody from outside the industry can find the disruption, right? So, so I would say, let's don't sell them too short just because somebody else is throwing more money and more dollars at something. They're throwing money and dollars at things the same way they've been doing it for forever, right? So I think that's important to remember. The other thing too is I think, again, assuming that all of the allegations of illegal, illegal behavior turn out to be overblown, I think even if these guys don't have a magic bullet, because it's such a small business and because there is so much growth happening, it could still turn out to be a great investment over a five or 10 year period, right? So I think that that's, again, that truth is somewhere in the middle. I'm definitely in the wait and see camp right now. I, I want to give this some time to play out before before I, I consider. But if I own shares, I don't know that I'd be so quick to sell either. You know, I don't, I don't know if I'd want to just move on that quickly. Oh, I agree. Well, Jason, I thank you so much for joining today. And I apologize. You probably spent 10 times more time on, on prepping this podcast than you initially planned to when I reached out to you about joining today. So I really appreciate it. I'm, I'm going to just sneak in a little bit of insider baseball here. Usually what happens when I'm on with Emily, folks, is she does a ton of prep. And I'm that kid from school that would always show up unprepared for the test and just find the smartest kid in the room, which was usually Emily, and talk them into letting letting him letting me look over their notes so i actually researched a lot for this one so it was it was fun it was a lot of fun jason is selling himself short what actually happens is i use our our pre-planning document as essentially a notepad where i write down 20 pages of unnecessary details and then have no ability to really determine what's important to speak about which leads to you know 40 minute long industry focus episodes that are mostly me rambling without any sort of intended consequence so <laughs> you're selling yourself all. short jason the queen of cogent you you were fantastic emily this was fun this was fun yes we'll have to do it again sometime sounds great Listeners, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or just want to reach out, feel free to shoot us an email at industryfocus@fool.com or tweet at us at mfindustryfocus. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against any stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Tim Sparks for his work behind the screen today. For Jason Hall, I'm Emily Flippin. Thanks for listening and Fool on! Fool on!